Welcome to the Untitled Film Project podcast, where we are looking at Creed 3 this time. Adonis Creed must face an old friend and a boxing prodigy, fresh out of prison, who makes Adonis remember his haunting past. You don't remember me, huh? Damn! Yeah, just got back to the hood, stopped by the old gym, but, uh... Yeah, we upgraded a couple years ago. Damn, it's, 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 uh... It's been a minute. Plus, we'll ask the big question. Who has the most annoying marketing trailer before the movies at movie theater chains? Is it Regal's movie line, or is it the grandiose Nicole Kidman telling us how wonderful movies are at AMC? Creed 3, officially the ninth movie in the franchise, if you start with Rocky. Let's get initial takes, starting with Jeremy Gover. I feel like there should be a Spaceballs drop right now with Rocky 5,000. <laughs> I feel like that... Maybe I'll put it in. Coming up, Pongo's review of Rocky 5,000. Pongo? Is merch allowed to be sold, though? The Creed flamethrower? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael B. Jordan is tremendous because, of course, he is. Tessa Thompson... Show me more range than I've seen, I've noticed from her. I'll, I'll change that. Noticed from her in a while. Yeah. Not that she's not good as Valkyrie or a couple other characters that I've seen. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there was more depth to this role and she brought the house. Jonathan Majors is just, I mean, I think Bradford said it a couple episodes ago. This is Jonathan Majors' world and we're just living in it. And that guy yep. is a rock star. The six months he's had or so between Devotion and, you know, Ant-Man, Quantumania, and now Creed Three, what a time to be Jonathan Majors. I mean, just holy criminy. So there were things that I didn't care for, okay, which we'll get to at scores and all that, but, I, but overall, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and I highly recommend it for anybody who loves a good I'll go competition story, because I wouldn't call it an underdog story. I wouldn't call it necessarily that, right. but a good competition story. If you love competition, whether you like boxing or not, have any appreciation for boxing or not, that's not the point. If you love competition and you love character development and depth of character in your films, especially your sports films, which we're all sports guys, I think we can agree, mm-hmm. a lot of sports films kind of skate on that. They're lacking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not. It was great, thoroughly enjoyable. Highly recommend Creed 3. Justin Bradford, initial take. All right, so my take on Creed 3 Secret Wars. (laughs) 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 But for real. There's a lot of Marvel connections in this. There are a lot of Marvel connections in this. Yeah. I thoroughly also enjoyed this film uh, as well. And more than anything else, I thought it was fantastic to see Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut Mm -hmm. uh, in this because it's now a franchise that he's the face of. Of this franchise, he's the future of the franchise as long as it continues to roll on. And for him to be able to direct the third installment of the Creed part of this franchise was, I think, huge for him because that means he's fully embraced the character, fully embraced Creed itself, and wanted to take that and be the best that it can be. I thought it was a fantastic sports movie, fantastic boxing movie that truly encapsulated the, the feeling of what he had to go through in terms of giving us backstory. I like the flashbacks because they're able to build the characters without having to start at the very beginning and build up. We're getting flashbacks to fill in certain moments of Adonis Creed's life. 
that we didn't know. No, we didn't know. We didn't know the connection or Neither how his wife. Right. We didn't. We didn't know these things. And I also, we also knew based on the trailers that Jonathan Major's character was going to be the antagonist. I don't really like calling him the villain because the way the things kind of settle, but the antagonist in this film, yeah. right? In terms of of Dame Anderson waiting for that turn like when's the turn going to happen when's the turn going to happen when's it going to you're just waiting for that moment because things are going fine he's trying to get reacclimated to life outside of prison getting to know his friend but you can feel that those undertones of things which i thought was great acting on jonathan major's part yes as well too so those undertones there when the turn happens like there it is now how are they going to come to the conclusion of this as well so i really did enjoy the interaction between those two characters but the way that they portrayed them as well tessa thompson as gover said fantastic she's beautiful shows so much range in this as well too love her character the biggest thing that stood out to me uh was mila davis kent playing amara i love the representation i love that we're getting so much uh, american sign language in this film as well too because it is bringing attention to something else in this and giving more depth to a film by having asl being such a prominent part of this film and that his daughter has this and it shows that creed has learned ASL. Obviously, uh, Bianca has learned ASL, and they make it such a huge part in this as well, but they don't make her a side character. Amara is a major part of this film, too, and about family. She drives the character. She drives so much. Yep. Uh, so I, that's what I enjoyed was the aspect of family and how this is growing. It was obviously set up in the previous Creed film as well, with, uh, Tessa Thompson's character, Loss of Hearing, beginning, and how she's transitioning in her role as well, too. Um, there obviously were some things where I wish it would have done a little differently, but overall thoroughly enjoyed the film really love seeing the inclusion aspect of asl in this with their daughter that was the biggest thing that stood out to me aside from jonathan majors was seeing so much asl being represented in this too because that right there is going to show audiences that they can make films that have this be a big part of it and it can be for them too and they can be included in hollywood i really had a great time and you know that is hard to do when you're doing a formula movie because these are formula movies sure there's a template that has to be followed. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I think my wife asked me, you know, she goes, oh, did, you know, uh, did, was he doing, did really well at the beginning of the movie and then suffers a crisis and then, you know, <laughs> has to come back. I'm like, you, you, you told me you didn't see it. So obviously <laughs> there is, uh, there is a formula. And for, I think, Michael B. Jordan to direct and create a film that we already sort of know where it's going to go from start to finish before we walk in the theater and still really entertain me was a fantastic moment that only comes from really good writing. Ryan Coogler, thank you for bringing an element of his past into the story, not a new villain from a different part of the world, but actually going to, you know, okay, what did Michael B. Jordan's character, Adonis Creed, give up or forget or leave behind in his rise to success? I thought it was just a great direction he took the story. Michael B. Jordan did a very good job in directing this film. And we just get to see, I think, uh, an amazing trio of Michael B. Jordan, Jonathan Majors, and Tessa Thompson, Three terrific actors at the top of their game. So let's dig a little bit deeper into Creed 3. The film does have the next evolution of Adonis's life, where he's now married. Bianca has given up 
what she did in music before to become a producer, all as a result of her impending hearing loss. They now have a child who is completely deaf. And Adonis has to all of a sudden explain to his family, you know, I had a different life before you knew me. But it took a long time for him to get to that point of being open to discussing it. And this is a conversation that got, obviously goes far beyond movies, but men and emotion. Yes. And it takes this on head on. It was a major theme. Uh, of men and emotions being able to discuss what they're feeling, with their family, with their closest loved ones that they trust the most as well, too, and being able to let people in, showing that it's okay to be emotional, and not just in the sports atmosphere, but in the family atmosphere and dealing with your past atmosphere and so many different aspects of life. That's what I love about the depth of the character that's been given now, that it's not just a boxing movie, that there there's depth to the character that Michael B. Jordan has built throughout this, thanks to great writing, that there's depth. He's not just a boxer. He's also dealing with family. She's dealing with his past. He has a daughter that is deaf, that he's had to learn a whole new language to communicate that. Also now running a gym, being at the top of his game, but still dealing with so many things. That's depth to a character. There's right. so, there's no there's no plateau. Being a mentor <laughs> for this, and, yeah, and just, also making yeah. money. He's you know the joke about the new Don King, yeah. which I thought was great. What a reference! I love that little reference awesome. there too. And obviously, not everyone's going to be able to relate to exactly to what Adonis Creed is going through. But there's so many people that have passed that maybe don't want to talk about, but they should with their partner. Yeah. And that they're hesitant to do that because they're hesitant to show any sort of weakness as well, even though that's not showing weakness by discussing your emotions with your partner. That's what I love about the characters, that they're able to discuss a lot of these things and show how he overcomes it as well. But it's not an easy task either. He doesn't just all of a sudden overcome it. There are fights that happen. It's hard There's to language get there. happens. It's hard to get there. And I like it because he's also dealing with his former best friend on the side that wants to challenge him and is talking crap about him on national yeah. TV. So... If anything, that's what I really like about it is that we had depth to every single character here, too. They've been, they've been able to continue to build on that. Jonathan Major's character comes in. Here there's already so much depth as we continue to learn about what he's been through. And that's why he's just he's an antagonist but not a villain because you start seeing his side of things as well. Yeah, I love Jeremy when you, you said that he has this, uh, there's this like simmering undertone that you know eventually he's going to turn and not just be this guy looking for a, a, a handout or a leg up, that he's going to be a problem for Adonis. That was actually one of the things I liked most about this movie, was that the storytelling inside it, I have some problems on the outside with how things were executed, but overall, the storytelling of the, the direction of that was really solid. I mean, from the moment where, you know, Creed doesn't recognize him at the car, and then they go to lunch, and he offers him money, he like a wad of cash, and he says, I'm not here for that, to where you're actually, like, well, I should say, we, I bought that he was not, that he, he, I was like, is, what is this movie going to be, like, how's it going to, what's the art going to be like? Sure. Because I, I was I, like, well, every character, you, you, uh, they say, is you, it's a good character if you realize what is their desire. Right. And his desire was not the money. Right. And so it was, and I, and I thought, I was like, because I thought for sure, well, he'll just take the money and then be like, hey, I kind of want a shot instead. Or, But instead, he just outright refused the money. And then they got to talking like two adults, sitting there like, what do you really want? And he's like, I want to, you know, I want to get back in the game. My point is, there was all kinds of different things that just threw me off, just enough to where I could not pinpoint how this was going to go. To the point where he comes over to meet the family, the daughter is deaf, 
he kind of learns on the fly how to say, you know, nice to meet you or whatever. Like those kinds of things where you're like, okay, he's he seems to be, he doesn't seem to, like, he's not looking around, looking to steal anything. Just he, all, he's not unhinged. He's, yeah, he's very calm and collective and they're trying to catch up. And then you start to see in the conversation with Tessa Thompson's character and, of course, Michael B. Jordan's character, you start to see the when he, when he throws him a curveball, like, oh, he didn't tell you. And that's when you start Whoa. to go, okay, there's something more here, but you don't know what it is. It kept me guessing the whole time, which as a moviegoer who's seen thousands of films, I really appreciate when I'm not sure, I think this is going to happen. I think his character is like this, but you're keeping me off kilter just enough to make me doubt. And I, and therefore I have to take everything at face value. I can't just yeah. be like, oh, well, of course he's going to say that because later on he's going to, you know, he's going to hijack him this way. It's, it was, I just thought overall it was written extremely well because it kept me on my toes and there's a lot there's a lot of boxing metaphors that could go with that because oh uh, sure rope a dope and all kinds yeah, of yeah and 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 also like you have to deal with uh the guy in front of you in that moment like you can't be thinking about the eighth round which might be you know the third act of the movie uh, when the guy is pummeling you right now in the second round right <laughs> uh, so i mean it, it, there's a lot of i mean boxing is not as mainstream as a a lot of other sports, okay? But I think when boxing movies do it right, it connects with anybody that, you know, maybe not ordinarily don't follow boxing, don't care about boxing, but they find how the boxing metaphor applies to the rest of life. The last thing I'll say in my little deeper dive segment is that I didn't care for, I mentioned I didn't like a few things, I didn't care for how they fast-tracked Damien. I understand they did it for the film. They got him fitted in two hours. I, mean, I totally understand that. Sure. Okay? So please forgive that. But And by fast-track, meaning like immediately giving him a shot at yes. the world title yes. in, in what felt like five minutes. Right. And, right. and he's, he's had no, five minutes is fine if you've done some sort of polishing like, okay, right? But the guy's not a fighter. He's yeah. basically off the street. Yes, they doubled down on the fact that he was a Golden Glove champ and like you know and all this stuff when he was a kid. For, yes, for sure. But can you imagine the outcry, especially in today's sports landscape on social media, if they just gave some random dude because that's how it looks to the public, random dude a title shot? There is it would okay, not fly. Okay, but it, can you bring like somebody like Jake Paul into this thing where God, I boxing occasionally? Yeah, I know it makes me sick having the words come out of my mouth. <laughs> but uh, boxing right now, I mean, it's not for the heavyweight title, but is kind of allowing some boxing's different weird but, stuff. And, and now. I know you know Dame set everything up to follow his narrative. Like it was all a setup, the rope a dope. Mm-hmm. Part of this, it was all a setup for so, sure. So he had a feeling on how things were going to go, anyways. Right. So that's where I think the ba- the the backup plan to the story fits. I'm not talking about that. He made it happen. I'm talking about the actual logistics of it. Okay. Sure. The in the script, they easily instead of him sparring with somebody, although obviously you need to do that, but they could have shown a seven second clip of him knocking out an undercard. Somewhere. They had a training montage. So why not have a, you know, all of a sudden he knocks out a guy in the first round, knocks out a guy in the second round. Again, seven, ten-second clips. I don't have a problem with it. Sure. I still find it unbelievable, but at least I'm like, okay, he's been in a boxing ring before. There, He went from sparring 
to all of a sudden a heavyweight title shot. And as a as a kid of the eighties, I think of Mike Tyson. Okay. Yep. Buster Douglas didn't just come out of nowhere. He he came out of nowhere in the ring, but he, but he didn't come out of nowhere as a boxer. He had he had matches before that. He earned he his earned way. his shot and he played Tyson. So if, if Buster Douglas gets hurt on that fateful night in Japan, they don't just go grab a sparring partner <laughs> at a random Japanese studio. That is not what happens. It would have made it more believable. But I can't prison, do prison it from boxing zero league. to sixty and then he wins. I can't I can't make it. Prison boxing league. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you, you, you I could, dude, dude was in shape. I mean, he was still fighting. I, no, oh, he was still fighting. He is that's in for sure. phenomenal shape. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Majors, daddy. It, yeah, <laughs> as a sports fan, my whole life, it is an it's a huge leap for me. Sudden death. Didn't think you'd get a John Claude Van Damme reference in this oh, show, boy. did you? In sudden death, he ends up on the ice. Okay, he's not really trying to play. He's not saying, "Oh, I'm the best goalie in the league. I'm going to go out there." Be no, he. Ends up in that position to solve something. For, this is not plot. that. This yeah. is like, oh, you want a shot? Oh, okay, we'll give you a shot. That's completely unbelievable to me. At best, it it spotlighted how much Adonis Creed wanted to make up for the fact that he didn't go to prison, and and he probably should have been the one in prison. And he left his buddy behind. At best. At best, yes. it's it's showing, like, I am going over the top. It's really just another version of him handing money at the diner. Because an opportunity presented itself that Dane made happen anyways. Yes. yes. Tessa Thompson's character, Bianca, from the original Creed movie, has just been a breath of fresh air. And I'm not talking about it in the Rocky franchise, but just the girlfriend of the main character, and then... He, she becomes his wife. She brought such a different take to it that she was not just a, a love interest who's grabbing the arm of you know the star athlete uh, Adonis Creed. She had her own thing going, and throughout these movies, she has only made that role more deep. And she really brought it to a head, I think, in Creed Three, where. You know, everybody's talking about something they've 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 given up or they've given up in exchange for something else in life and made those tough choices. And, and like she had that with, you know, I don't want to lose my hearing. So I've gave up on my dream and have gone to something that I kind of like, but it's not truly. I mean, she wanted to be her own artist instead of producing other ones. And even as a producer, though, she's still award-winning. Yeah. Like, it still shows that... still good. It still shows that the challenge, the internal challenge she's having to face because she's still at the top of her game, but it's not necessarily the game she dreamt of being in either. Both you and your husband are at the top of your game in, an indus- in two different industries as well. Yep. But she's still having to face that challenge that she was not able to do everything she actually wanted to do because of her hearing loss. And that's... I love the depth of that. And also, she was a instrumental role in literally speaking for her child and telling Adonis, this is how you need to deal with your past, and you know, and this is how you need to deal with your daughter. And uh, I also really enjoyed how it took a lot for him to realize that she was right, that he needed to face these things and bring them out into the open, his past and these feelings that he buried for so long. And also one of the things I loved about that, which is it's an important message. But at the same time, that same message was, 
and there's a time to fight. Mm-hmm. Now, so, go, yeah. now so, go kick his ass. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't just a like be nice, be in your feelings, and just go listen to Adele in the car with the rain no. falling on you. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, you got to do this, and when it's called for, punch him in the face. And for that, I credit uh, the writers and Tessa Thompson just doing a fantastic job. Phenomenal job. So I wanted to pose now to you guys, basically the fight, the major fight sequence near the end. What did you all think about how that was choreographed, how it was portrayed, especially when the audience disappeared, when the crowd disappeared, yeah, those that, aspects of it, that was things a major, that you liked or didn't like? Uh, let's, let's, I want to talk about that, where uh, there's a point where the crowd all of a sudden is gone. So, you know, we've kind of got a, a director's uh, flight of fancy, okay? where it's just the two of them. It's not the rest of the world. It's not the people in the arena. Interesting. It's just the two of them. And uh, I liked the creative decision. I thought I would have loved for it to be a little gradual. It was a little abrupt for me. But I appreciate that's a Michael B. Jordan choice. You know, he's, he said, you know, he blocked out all the, all the fights for this movie. Um, and I did like... The idea. I think this is where we see Michael B. Jordan being, you know, a very good director out of the gate and could be a great one. Um, I really like that he took the chance and made that scene where it was everything was gone. I took it as symbolism of the fighters. Yeah. So they're in the zone. And when you're in the zone, if you're a creative person or an athlete and you get in the zone, you know that everything else goes away. You don't even notice the world around you. That being said, I agree with you. I would have liked it to where if the upper bowl was gone in the in one shot, and then the lower bowl was gone in the second shot, and, the, and, and, and then his the trainers were gone in the third comes, shot. Comes down. Yes, that would have been a lot a more funnel down to it. Yeah, that would have been I think nice for me. I did like the symbolism, like you say too, when Adonis is punched and his back goes up against a jail cell wall. Yes, right that was cool. Too. Like what yep. he's what he's also battling against mm-hmm. is the guilt of where he thought he should have been. Yeah. As well. So I, I did enjoy that uh, in terms of the symbolism there as well. But yeah, I, I do like that how it could have whittled down to the aspect where it's just the two of them. Yeah, and then and, just and bam, really right just back a, up. That's a polishing thing. I, I, I really admire that he did it. Uh, you know, this now I'm just quibbling over, you know, <laughs> you know, the execution of it. I did find some pieces of that cheesy. And I do think that's an experience thing too. I think that if he was a more experienced director, and you got to start somewhere, I'm not yeah. taking it necessarily you know anything away from him but like when they're when at the very end of the movie when he's in there he's you know messing with his daughter and his, his daughter knocks him down and he's like oh you know yeah and it, that's a great moment but then when they leave and he turns around and looks at the empty crowd and does this big dramatic like i've made it moment like all this it's like okay like, a little cheesy like you're i, I just there was, was there, there were elements of that that i cheese. was like we could have done without that yeah, my, yeah. Uh, my thing that I found cheesy, and maybe this is where, uh, you know, I think makers of boxing movies, and you could even say dodgeball, uh, will use cheesy commentary from the guys on the side of the ring describing what's going on and almost dumbing it down for the audience. Okay. Uh, I thought the guys at the side of the ring commentating on this movie were the cheesiest thing in the entire movie. Uh, I they kind of insulted my intelligence. You talking about the broadcasters? Wow, yeah, the broadcasters. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm like, 
Really? I mean, I, I, they were the worst actors, the only bad actors in it, I thought. Well, but they're real boxing. If, but they suck. Right. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> the, the idea there is that they're actual boxing. I get, so, I get the credibility of having re- the people that do this for a living, but I, I get what was coming from for them? Because I feel like it was forced. Because they weren't commentating an actual event happening. They were commentating a script. Sure. So it didn't feel as natural of I have no problem with that. that. I'm just saying like there's But I know. see where Jim's coming from. I wasn't even thinking about that. But now that I'm remembering back in the movie, I'm going, right. that is kind of cheesy. They're describing <laughs> like plot point narratives yeah. instead of what's happening in the fight. Yes. You know, they're like, and this is the, you know, like, like they really, uh, it's almost like they were, they were looking at the uh, elevator pitch of the movie and had to tell the audience again what was at stake and i didn't think it was needed so let me ask you this then how would you have fixed that you're the director of the film jim what are you doing to push the narrative along while watching a sporting event where naturally you would put in broadcasters to then tell the story so where what would you do differently I, I, is it just as simple as better actors is it just that simple uh, or maybe just better writing this is where i put it on the writing i think they felt that to reach a broader audience that may not be familiar with the sport, we have to over-explain the importance of what's going on. And I I thought the movie kind of did it. Okay. I didn't I didn't think it was necessary. That's, That's fair. my nitpick. That's fair. And it's minor. Yeah. That's fairly, fairly minor. Now, okay, we haven't discussed this, uh, but Felish Rashad's character. Awesome. I mean, and especially with the way, again, I've talked about this, the depth you build for Adonis Creed mm-hmm. by having his mom pass away. As well, so all the battles he's facing, yeah, including his mom passing away too after he had a verbal fight with her. Right when a death is predictable, as that one was, it takes a great actor to still make you buy in when you know something's coming. And mm-hmm. Felicia Rashad did that for me. It's, I was fully invested in her demise and that character connection between the two of them that even though I saw it coming I didn't care even though we know something's gonna bad ha- bad happen to her because of the formula um, but make us forget about it by playing out the rest of that scene in the relationship between she and Adonis and her raising him is a total credit to Felicia Rashad <laughs> Okay, so before we move on to scores, I just want to give major props to Mr. Gover over here because the movie starts and right off the bat with oh, the yes. beat, I he's under his this. breath just whispering the artist what it's called and everything. And it's not even the full song. It's just <laughs> a bit of it. And when he says he's a classic hip-hop connoisseur, that's how you know he's not BSing you is when he's picking up on things so quickly. I'm just like, yeah. What? What was it that you picked up immediately? So after about eight count, I was like, "Oh, Dr. Dre, The Watcher," and then it eventually built in to the actual Dr. Dre, The Watcher. Yeah. Like the elements came. Like if you know Adobe, you know uh, Adobe Audio. Like there's layers and all kind. It was like they added one layer every eight count to, like, and then it eventually became The Watcher. And, and Bradford looked at me like, "What the hell?" And I was like, "Sorry, man. That's just that, it, he knows it was a stuff. natural reaction." Kudos to uh, everybody on the soundtrack. So for those who aren't familiar with The Watcher, it was not a single. It was a deep cut. So it was the, it was the first real track, but it was the second track technically, off of Dr. Dre's Chronic 2001. So if you're not familiar with the song, the second verse goes, 
I moved out of the hood for good. This is going to be really funny that I'm reciting this and not rapping it, by the way. I moved out of the hood for good. Do you blame me? You'd probably move to a new house on a new hill, which Creed did. Sure did. In the movie. It's either my life or your life. I ain't leaving. I like breathing. That's the challenge that basically Damien presents to Michael B. Jordan's character is I'm going to, I'm coming for everything. And Dre goes on to say, just remember that you're messing with a family man. I got a lot more to lose than you. This is all in the song. Perfect. It's the movie. Perfect. Right. Now I know this is not a new thing. I know movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, like there's all kinds of examples of movies that take songs and put them into appropriate places because those lyrics fit. But for those who maybe short sight hip hop as not a real genre or it's just a fad or it's a certain culture that likes it, nobody else really cares. There's depth and meaning to these lyrics. And Michael B. Jordan and the team at Creed 3 picked perfect music for their film. And I just wanted to shine a spotlight on that, that there's way more to the art form and the genre than just beats or a violent message or whatever. There's more to it, and Michael B. Jordan, in his direction, found a perfect formula for the music that was used in the film. I'm so proud. Now, here we go. The music guy is all verklempt. I'm so proud of him. But that was a really good. That was really good. Like, you hit the nail on the head, though, of how important music is in film. He's so proud of you. The way they connect it and everything, too. But that shows hyper-awareness of that as well, too. That was a choice made on purpose. Oh, for sure. Made on purpose. Not just to score, but it's a song with the lyrics and how much those lyrics mean to the movie. Just think about that. It could be, okay, well, I need this really, I need to set the tone, right? So how do we do that? We get a really good beat. We're going to tell the backstory of these two characters. We're going to go to a flashback scene of them growing up, and then we're going to see how this all fits. But we need a beat to do that, and we need a we need a time-appropriate beat, like an era-appropriate mm-hmm. beat. We can't play something from 2010 if it happened in 1999. Yep. Right? We saw that in Black Panther, the first one. Uh, too short, because they're in Oakland. That's how the mm-hmm. movie opens. Mm-hmm. They're in Oakland. In the Trunk is playing from Shorty the Pimp, the album. That song came out around the time that that scene was supposed to take place. So here you have a nod to that, and it's, again, a song that is era-appropriate, and the message fits what the movie is about to be about. It's just all around great. Here we go. Let's score Creed three, starting with Justin Bradford. All right. I, I enjoyed the film. I think it has the potential to be the best out of the three as well, just given the depth of these characters and where they've been able to grow these characters, and especially with Jonathan freaking Majors uh, <laughs> being in this as well. Uh, the first Creed was, let's see, 173. 3.6 million uh, worldwide. Creed 2, 214 million. Oh, wow. Do we think Creed 3 tops the 214 million that Creed 2 did? Quick answers. 250, yes. Yeah, I believe him. Okay, I believe so as well because Jonathan Major is going to be a big draw for that. Yeah, I think that's I mean, what's going to help I do mean, it. And I, every woman I know, I, I had one tell me that Michael B. Jordan melts her ovaries. So, I mean, like, <laughs> they are hungry for Michael B. Jordan and And then you have Jonathan Major. So just overall, just thoroughly enjoyed the film, enjoyed the depth of the characters. Again, a a big time again, the representation that we see with sign language was phenomenal to me and that stood out so much to me and that gave me so many bonus points. I will say, Gover, we both had the same reaction to a certain sports broadcaster appearing on screen. Uh Uh-huh. 
I don't know if you had that note in there for oh, you. Oh, it's in here. Okay. That does give a little subtraction for me because Stephen A. Smith just makes me cringe. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's not a huge subtraction. I hope it isn't for Gover either. It is. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I declared it in the theater, dude. I know, but everybody dude, was, heard you. I was in a. I know, because I made no what? secret about it. I was, in the middle, I was like, I'm taking a full point off because he's in it. Okay. <laughs> so. So my my score, so I get to there, so I just keep asking you guys for input. My score is an eight. <laughs> Jeremy Gover. Stephen A. Smith sucks, and I take a whole point <laughs> off for that. That's number one. Just get cut to the chase. Since Bradford took it from me, I might as well go ahead and just do that. Uh, my love for American Sign Language cannot be understated because I took two years of it in college, and... To see it on screen in not a throwaway character, right? It wasn't like they ch- it wasn't like they were going to dinner at a restaurant and the server was deaf and they were signing. I mean, it wasn't like that. Right. It was, and then it's like over. Like it was throughout the whole movie. It was an integral part of building the relationship with the daughter, mm-hmm. right? So much so they were teaching Damien how to say again. You know, nice to meet you. It made my soul happy. So I understand it hits me on a personal level, but I just have to say that I loved the fact that ASL was used on screen for as frequently as it was. That was awesome. And and how it told some of the story. It was, it was important it, to the story. It was important mm-hmm. to the story. It wasn't just a choice because, well, we got some representation in there. Let's uh, let's put a deaf kid in. It was right. actually, it built some characters around. It was awesome. Uh, Jonathan Majors is a beast, like I said. And the last thing I'll say is that I would, I recommend this movie to anybody who, again, is a fan of competition of any kind. And I'd probably even go beyond that. I'd probably just recommend it to anyone because it's not just a boxing movie. It's disguised as one, but it is not one. There's so much more to it. And therefore, I give Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut, Creed Three, a 7.0. Very nice. Remember, it would have been an 8. So if not for Stephen A. Smith, yeah, that's it would have right. been an 8. Wow, sure there's the difference yeah. right there. He has to have penalties, okay? <laughs> he has to have... There are consequences there are, to your thank actions. Thank you. There are consequences... <laughs> <laughs> to him just being on screen. Because <laughs> of pr- all the personalities they yeah. could have went with. I probably would have let it slide if he was watching a TV show with Stephen A. Smith on it. Instead, it he was, was on the show. Right. Which makes him a character in the movie, which I take points off for. <laughs> <laughs> Unapologetically. Well, this is Jim, and I uh, really loved this movie. It does rival the first Creed, which I also thought was a fantastic movie and just surprised me out of the gate. You know, when I I thought they were going to do another evolution of the Rocket, I'm like, oh, don't beat this horse. And then I was like, thank you for beating this horse. (laughs) 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 So, uh, yeah, it does battle for uh, the the best of the Creed movies. Uh, We have just so many great people in this movie. The cheesiness uh, of a few elements, including the commentary, and we already know it's a template movie. But the fact that it overcame all that to make me so happy and entertained and the drama that it brought, not just sports, but just the drama in so many different ways, in different places that I never expected it to come from, I give this movie a 7.5. And it didn't need Rocky in it. It didn't. All right, now we get to the big question. This is one that has been weighing on me because uh, we have two theater chains in the area we live. 
Uh, we have AMC and Regal, the two big guns in the movie distribution industry. And both of them had decided, I think around during the pandemic, that they needed to brand their movie chain in a way that made it stand out from other movie chains. And in my opinion, and almost every single person I've talked to, both chains made an annoying trailer that appears before all their films and won't die. They continue <laughs> to show these things. Uh, the AMC theater chain has Nicole Kidman talking about the grandiosity of theater and all that stuff and, and just trying to get into your like, oh, it's so much bigger than just going to the movies and eating popcorn. And then Regal just comes in with all these movie quotes that, okay, you see it once, you think it's kind of annoying. And then after that, it should be outlawed by the Geneva Convention. You're not allowed, <laughs> you're not allowed to show that she to prisoners. So I, like I want to know which one do you find more annoying? I think I just tipped my hat to Regal Cinema's movie and TV quotes. I can't take it anymore. And I may just delay walking into a theater until somebody gives me it's an all clear signal. So Jim didn't even let us set up. He just went straight into trigger mode. I like it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. The to- these are the top two movie chains in the United States. AMC currently has approximately, because you know things change day to day, 7,850 screens in America. Regal has 6,851. The next largest is Cinemark at 4,426. So the majority of Americans are seeing their movies if they go to the, the movie theater yeah. in one of those two chains. So that's a legit discussion. So much so that, Jim, as you brought up, that the AMC Nicole Kidman ad was spoofed by Saturday Night Live. That's how you mm-hmm. know how big of a movie chain you are when your pre-roll is spoofed by SNL. It, it's a cultural moment. Now, if you guys didn't know, this is news that broke last summer that Nicole Kidman is actually going to get a sequel. She signed up for two pre-movie so, what? things. Yeah, so there's going to be another version Somebody thought that'll come out. This was a good enough idea that they're going to do another one? I mean, I own a t-shirt for the first one. You do? So, they didn't get money from that, though. Wait. No, they didn't. It was Etsy. Does, right. Does this mean that you really like the Nicole Kidman oh, God, pre-roll? Not that I like it. I like the meme of it. A heartbreak feels good in a, in a place, in a place like, like this. this. It's that so a, bad that it's funny. That That's so why it's memed. I, you know, and because and, I see Regal movies more than I see AMC. I didn't remember that line, but I'm yeah, so that's sorry. so bad. There's like 20-ish minutes. I think you guys would agree with me on that. About 20 minutes of trailers before uh-huh. a film. Yeah. So if you're seeing a noon showing of Cocaine Bear, which I did, at 12.25, it's like, okay, here we go. The main feature's coming up. It's the AMC, go get your popcorn, the last kind of whooshing thing and yeah. all that, right? Roller and, coaster through the And you're like, the okay, we got through the 27,000 trailers. Half I want to see, half I don't care about. Let's go. Here we go. And then it's Nicole Kidman walking into a movie theater. And every single time, now that we're three years into this thing, I'm just like, is this still not dead? People I start re- laughing in theaters. That I I'm really in. do think <laughs> it's because you have baited me for 20 minutes with trailers and then, I, oh, it's time for the movie. And, and then it is not. And, and I think that's really what the problem is. And because we go to the movies so often compared to most people. No, fine. Like, 
I is still, ingrained. I still think it's the it's <laughs> the positioning of the spot. They want it as close. They to want the as movie close as to possible. the movie as possible to okay, remind yeah. you of what brand of theater you're in. <laughs> First of all, that's a very big city view, which is my second point. I don't need to be reminded of what you movie don't theater. need to, but they're marketing. No, no, but but doesn't it also no. feel like preaching to the choir? Right. Thank you, Jimmy. That's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. We do not have to argue about this. Are we seriously going to argue about this? No, listen to me first, okay? I know I go to an AMC theater because it is the only one within a 20-mile radius of my house. It's called branding, Jeremy. So it's branding. I don't have a choice. I it can't... doesn't matter if you have a choice. It's branding. That's what they're doing is branding it. AMC. We make movies better. That is the tagline of the Nicole Kidman, is it not? Yes. My son and I look at each other every single time without fail and go, AMC. We make movies closer because that's what the slogan should be. It is the closest theater to my house. There is no option otherwise. I don't need to be branded to. Even 20 miles away, guess what the next theater is? Oh, that's right. It's an AMC. Okay. I don't need to know. Yeah. I don't okay, have to okay. be presented. I need you to calm down. No. Yeah, I like this fire. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm triggered. I hate this freaking... Okay. I if you only went to the movies once a quarter... It would not be as triggering to you. I will ask you this, Justin Bradford. <clears throat> we didn't even get an opinion on him from Regal. I, well, I know. We'll, we'll get to oh, that. I, I'm I getting just, to that. I want to ask you, though, uh, using the words of Nicole Kidman and <laughs> what you were just talking about, Jeremy, does seeing that market branding thing before every movie make movies better? No, but it's a marketing message. My day job's does- in marketing. So it doesn't bother me. It makes me As giggle. is mine. Thank you very much. Well, obviously you don't understand it then. Because no, like, I don't need to be branded to. No, no. I, no, I understand that there is a balance between how often you hit somebody over the head with something. But no one goes to the movies as much as us. That's what I'm trying to say. Most Americans go to the movies two or three times a year. Listen, in major cities, even Nashville proper, okay? I'm 30 miles outside of Nashville, okay? In Nashville proper, there are options. So I can see if you are in a big metropolitan area, New York, you want them to geo target a freaking marketing ad in the theater. They do it with everything else. Why wouldn't they do it with this? Because it takes too much work for a big company like that. It's work. Why? They're lazy. You're wasting customers' time. You're not wasting anybody's time because you're going to sit there for thirty seconds and watch it. I have sat there. You're going to get up during that and walk out. (laughs) No, maybe at this point. No, you're not because you're there to watch a movie to do your job. I sat through seven trailers. Yes. And I want my damn movie to start. Oh, and my this, God. And Nicole Kidman comes in and tells me that heartbreak feels good in a place like this. No, it doesn't. I need you to shut up and go away. Not because you're Nicole Kidman. I like Nicole Kidman. But because this specific spot. How many times? Award-winning Nicole Kidman from the MCFCA. Yes. But for three years. <laughs> no, here's. Thank okay. you. Okay. If you want something that triggers, what triggers me more in an AMC is when they do the celebrating 100 years of 1920 to 2020. That 2020 is, was three years ago. That was it's 12 seconds long, dude. This is 30 seconds long. It is not 30 seconds. No, it's like a minute, right? Hold, please. Oh my god. <laughs> please keep the clicks in. Oh, I will. It is a minute and a half. A minute and a half. It's 90 seconds. Why the would you fact do it? that you're so triggered by a marketing message Why would is you do it Because it flies in the face of what marketing is about. Marketing is about exposure and awareness. That's what it's about. And then eventually to sell things and blah, blah, blah. And branding. Blah. Right. Okay. But I don't need to be branded to. It's obviously worked for them because you'll notice, SNL spoofed it. You'll notice I have not said 
I've talked about the frequency of which I go. You keep bringing it up, which is fair because that's why I'm you're not so saying I'm tr- I'm I'm upset by this ad because I see it 12 times a month. That's that never came out of my mouth. I don't care how many times I see it once. How many times are we watching a regional sporting event? And it's the same damn commercials every single break. People get frustrated. Yeah. And did they turn it off because of that? No. I've muted my TV. Yes. Okay. And then got up and got some milk or got some Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I've occasionally paused my DVR so that I could fast forward through those things. Thank you. You're not getting up and leaving the movie theater because of it. I'm not leaving the movie theater because I've paid money. Right. But I don't need this. Okay. That's what I'm trying to tell you. All right. I'm going to bring this back. Right, I don't please care if you I'm need it or not. They're going to keep doing it. Yeah, They've graduated from the roller coaster. The question is, well, yeah. The, <laughs> that, that was less annoying. Regal there. still has the roller coaster. The, the, uh, <laughs> the jump scare popcorn. Yeah. The, <laughs> uh, the real question is, is it any good? Nobody's talking. It doesn't mean like, okay, yes, they do have to. Everybody has to market everything if you're in a business, right? Is it any good? Is it annoying? And which one is more annoying? Regal's more annoying. My son sat in the theater and saw it for the first time just a few days ago. He's 25. Mm -hmm. He goes, oh my, this is annoying. And it was the first time he'd ever watched it. Regal's 100% more annoying. Regal. The Regal one. Way more annoying. And I can honestly say, as triggered as I am by AFC, the Regal one is horrible. It's more annoying. And here's what's more annoying is because at least the AMC one can be memed. That's why okay, that is not you can. Why. It's so bad. The AMC one is so bad that you can turn it funny just to get through it. That's what I'm trying to say. Is at least the quote one you can't meme it because there are already quotes from a movie. You can't meme those anymore. I think it's just in a different form. That and the thing that's why it works because it's so bad that people memed it and you have other people on Etsy creating merchandise for it and they're wearing it. No one's creating merch for the Regal one because that's just awful. It's just bad. It's more awful. It's more awful. It is more awful. But that's what I'm trying to, Which the point I'm trying to make is that at least the AMC one low worked in a roundabout way because it's so bad that people found hilarity in it. You cannot find hilarity in the Regal one. It's just bad. You can't do anything else with it. It's a bunch of amateur bad actors delivering these famous lines in a trying to be funny way and nothing about it works. Nothing. Everyone falls flat. Every single line. At least in the Nicole Kidman one, I find myself every single time, after my groan, my audible gasp, of what theater did they shoot this in? Because that's beautiful. It's in California. <laughs> that, with the stacked theaters. Yeah. You oh, know, it's gorgeous. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah I'm like, how did they get, they get this? Yeah. Who, what theater Why don't is this? I have this they were like- lucky in our area, the AMCs we have, because I've been to some other AMCs in other areas that have not had any up. They're a little ratchet. In Orlando, which you think is a pretty big city, theme parks and everything, the theater that's at Disney Springs. Oh, that's I went at to AMC. that one. It's good. No, well, first of all, they have the popcorn just sitting out there for you to grab. It's not freshly popped. It's just under a heater. I don't, I, that was not my experience. <laughs> and then not hardly any of them are recliner seats. All right, now we're yeah, we've, we're, we've crossed we're the going diva into territory. territory. I, I got to tell you, movies are about the experience. The experience is triggering to well, some people. AMC makes them better, apparently. What they really do is they make them closer. Well, That's I cannot wait for the sequel. I can't wait for the sequel, and then we're going to have a full episode dedicated to the sequel. Okay, so real quick bridge on that. A sequel would be nice in the sense that it at least it is something different. It's, it's happening. It up. Okay, but I will tell contract. you how to, I'll tell AMC right now how to solve this problem. Do two of them and make it a rotation. Then you never know which one you're going to get. And at least there's some sort of, oh, 
what did I you get, get this time? I wonder if I get the Nicole Kidman one or the Jared Leto one. It's like the Guardians like, of the Galaxy <laughs> ride at Epcot. Like, what song did you get? Yeah. I mean, at least it would be... Uh, did you be, just say Jared Leto? Yeah, I just first thing came to mind. <laughs> you want people to groan even more? For a second there, I thought, Jared Leto's doing those? It's Mormon time. <laughs> been trapped with those before the movie trailers for three years and you've been trapped with us for far too long but please tell us what you think about the regal versus amc pre-movie branding and uh, also your thoughts on the movie as well you can reach out to us anywhere on social media we're on all of them untitled film project podcast we make podcasts closer Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett. The Untitled Film Project podcast is presented in cooperation with iHeartRadio.